There are many ways people listen to Vision, including DAB Plus Digital Radio. If you're in Greater Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane and have a digital radio receiver in your car or home, you'll find Vision Christian Radio on the station list. If you're visiting one of these cities and hiring a car, there's a good chance it will have a DAB receiver and you'll be able to enjoy vision with exceptional sound quality while you drive around. If you don't already own a DAB receiver, you'll find many models, including clock radios at electronic retailers for under $100. To find out more about vision on digital radio and whether you're within the broadcast footprint, see vision.org.au slash DAB. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our focus is going to be on how we might think about the relentless push for the legalisation of marijuana. Now, wherever you look, there seems to be an endless parade of drug propaganda promoting cannabis as a relatively harmless plant. And as you know, if you say something enough times, the masses tend to believe it to be true. The argument often includes the idea of no more crime. Well, if you decriminalise it, of course it's not going to be any more crime, is there? Uh, There are health benefits and an increase in taxation revenue. Well, our special guest today says the promises of marijuana have all failed and greater harms are being done to an ill-informed culture and a vulnerable next generation. Tomorrow is World Weed Day. It's a day that drug educators have decided that they will use to highlight the chaos and the carnage to community, mental and physical health. Shane Varko is back with us today. He's the CEO at Dalgano Institute, one of the 270 member organisations of the World Federation Against Drugs. Shane Varko, a special welcome back to 2020. Good to be here, Neil, and thank you for having us. And just uh, on that, the World Federation Against Drugs has ticked over the 300 membership uh, group now, so that's encouraging. All right, 300 members. Uh, absolutely, uh, 300, yes. yes. It's uh, so growing movement around the world uh, where Indeed. people are rising Indeed. up and uh, and saying, you've got to speak up and say something because the the drug propaganda is steamrolling everything. So uh, that's, that's an impressive thing that, that's happened then. Indeed. No, it's encouraging, and people are starting to wake up to, well, certainly the onslaught that's been in play for probably the last five years now, and, and beginning to push back, and importantly, and very importantly, so that that does happen because of the issues that are really emerging from this really sinister kind of a thing that's happening at the moment. Well, an opportunity to talk today ahead of what is going to be called World Weed Day, and that happens happens on April the 20th each year, and there's a little bit of, uh, you know, fun banter that goes around about the myths and the legends of how the 420 became known as Weed Day. Uh, there's one that says it's like a police code, you know, it's like uh, code 420. Yep. Uh, there's another one that says uh, there's a connection to a Bob Dylan song, Rainy Day Women, where the numbers 12 and 35 are in the lyrics, and uh, and uh, the lyrics, everybody must get stoned, and when you multiply yep. 12 by 35, you get 420. 
Yep. And then there's the one about a secret code amongst high schoolers in the early 1970s. They were known as the Waldos who would meet at 4.20 each afternoon to get high. That one seems to be the one that uh, everyone ascribes to. Yeah, that's just generally the, the legend that tends to stick in this particular context, Neil, correct. And so coming out of the 70s and what was happening in the 60s and uh, flower power and everybody uh, getting stoned and uh, marijuana became the way that you rebelled, uh, there's a certain sense in which there's been a growing movement ever since that time and now it's uh, it's very, very strong. It's not... It's not uh, uh, it's not allayed in any way. It's stronger perhaps now than it's ever been. Is that the case, Shane? Oh, absolutely, Neil. That was the agenda from the uh, certainly the mid-70s onwards. And again, the hashtag 420 kind of uh, tagline that came in the social media context. We sort of took that into, an, into a social media sort of space and frenzy, give it a bit more profile and traction. But certainly early days, uh, the, the idea of about legalization of marijuana and an organization called normal n-o-r-m-l the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws was kind of introduced in the 70s and set up and and driven by by players and actors that are still doing still pushing behind the scenes and funding it and they uh, they really were all about trying to to sanitize and and normalize and and obviously legalise this substance. And they said at day one, um, from the early, sorry, not day one, but the very early stages of this movement, that the key to getting recreational marijuana in play is through the medical marijuana model. So there's been promises and or uh, accolades around the marijuana being a therapeutic, having therapeutic potential since the mid-70s. Yet with all the, the noise that's been made about it and all the study and research that's gone into it in 50 years, we're still not advanced the medical the, the purported medical potential of this of this substance, and that's got to that's got to raise some flags for people. You've got to think about that. Wait well, on a minute! All the promises made, all the research, and even the data and technical uh, investigations that are in play now have still not produced much more than was in play. The ideas are in play, and the therapeutic potential is almost you know it's very very limited indeed. Okay, very limited. And, and so a conversation today, and I hope we can cover a lot of ground today, the idea that there is evidence-based scientific research that reveals that cannabis is not what the drug lobby is uh, purporting it to be. And in fact, it seems like you put medical in front of it and everyone thinks yeah. it's all okay. Any thoughts That's about the way things are framed when the propaganda hits our ears? Oh, perfect. Now, Neil, that's exactly what you do. I mean, if you want to convince any, any mass or any organisation or any people or a group, people group, you need to convince them that there's there's some sort of value in this. And certainly they put the term, from a positive perspective, put the term medical in front of something and that gives it, well, tries to lend weight to it. Of course, if you want to have a ad, uh, different response from an adverse, uh, an inverse, sorry, response, you talk about saving lives, you put that that, that uh, statement in front of any issue as well so then you get people trying to get traction in that space but with the the medical marijuana thing that's been um unfortunately been cultivated i'm going to use that term very carefully cultivated very very well and with the americas uh, american states decriminalizing and, and and using that particular version of medical marijuana which is fascinating because most of the medical marijuana in america that's that's been uh, released onto the marketplace has not been clinically trialed, double blind, uh, placebo accounted for clinical trials. It's not been the, the research. It's just been anecdotal evidence, stories, you know, homeopathic statements 
that have no clinical uh, trials to back them. And there's been lots of promises, don't get me wrong, there's lots of, oh, this could be the reality, but they've been saying that since the late 90s and early 2000s, yet we've had 20-odd years now of study, and we still haven't realised those purported potentials. So, again, uh, is, there, is there potential moving forward? The science can maybe unravel that, but at the moment, we're not seeing anything of real value. And, in fact, some of the existing medicines from from cannabis plant that have been on the market have been there for 25 years, such as brand names like Sativex, which is which is a basically a, a thera- not a therapeutic tool. It's a it's a symptom alleviation vehicle for those going through chemotherapy and suffering awfully from that that terrible process. And basically, it increases their appetite, so that they can in, it gives them the, it essentially gives them the munchies. And that is a clinically trialled and legally dispensed prescribed medicine. So it, that. In that context, that is medicine. But anything out that hasn't been clinically trialled isn't. Epidiolex is the other one that's come on the market recently, which is the for the Dravet syndromes, epilepsy, and other kind kinds of epilepsy. That's been clinically trialled and that's been released by uh, GW Pharma. I think it was the the, organ, the company that spent you know ten, twelve years and thirteen one point three billion dollars developing that. So that's again a legal, clinically trialled proper medicine. So if that's prescribed by your doctor, that is medical marijuana. But anything outside of that is just a misnomer. It really is. But it's it's got traction because people have just bought the idea that this must be medicine so it can't be bad. So 300 organisations now around the world who are standing up and uh, endeavouring to fight back the propaganda uh, that's coming from the pro-drugs lobby. Uh, let's not leave uh, listeners in any doubt here as to your position, Shane, because uh, you don't want anyone to be thinking that there is anything good about these uh, drugs uh, and with uh, with marijuana itself, uh, you believe that there's social, mental, health, genetic, environmental and community harms from cannabis. Uh, what is, you know, why is it that we're so easily led here, do you think? Well, again, any any propaganda machine deals with, you know, you can't tell blatant lies. It has to have a little bit of truth in there. And, of course, it's creating uh, impetus, and, and that's the idea. So when when it comes to to unfortunately to marijuana, one of the biggest drivers has been, in fact, probably the single biggest driver for the medical uh, embrace has been the terrible epilepsy or versions or types of epilepsy that have seen we've seen uh, children paraded out in front of uh, cameras and and totally understand that from a parental perspective. You're looking at you know a child fitting 120, 130 times a day. It's it's awful to watch. And then someone is saying, look, if you try this extract from cannabis, it'll stop the, the fitting, which is, again, what led to the, the idea of, of developing medicines from that perspective. And that's what's been one of the things that's developed. And, of course, GW Pharma, as a pharmaceutical, a responsible pharmaceutical organisation, and, of course, the pro-drug lobby, uh, the pro-cannabis lobby, want to try and, uh, if, if big pharma aren't, on board or in control of it, they want they don't want that to be the case. So what they try and do is create other streams by which they can get the product into the marketplace. And of course, any uh, drug of dependence, once it's unleashed and it's been used widely, creates the dependency which guarantees the the, the demand. And, and I'm going to put it very bluntly. Obviously, dependent people drive demand. In fact, like with all uh, all substances, including alcohol, it's it's something I believe the statistics are twenty percent of people do eighty percent of the purchasing. So again, it's an addiction for profit model, which is really disturbing. Um, having said that, but getting back to the Epidiolex, which is the the actual brand name of the 
the GW Pharma Dravet Syndrome Epilepsy Medicine. It's been properly trialled, double-blind trial, 13 years of research, and they've come up with a medicine. They're saying, look, this has to be dispensed very carefully. It's, I believe, a fourth-line treatment. In other words, when all other three other treatments above it that have been tried and tested are failing, this is a fourth-line option. It has an efficacy rate, as I believe from the literature I've read, about 25%. You can't just jack up the dosage to help with the problem. And this is one of the issues around the, the whole the dispensing of, of the, the what I call the rogue medical marijuana model, is that we just, for example, Charlotte's Web, which is one of the first, um, uh, first uh, me- medicines, tinctures that was developed in, in America, they were giving it to, to the, these children. They are watching them stop fitting. And, of course, the more fits that came, the more they gave and the less fits that came. So they, they simply just upped the dose. But there is no accounting in those trials for short and long-term harms outside of the fitting. Now, the argument, of course, is the fitting stop, that's all I care about. And I get that, and I understand the absolute distress of parents in that space, having seen it and being involved in, in programs that have looked at this. It's awful. But then again, the long-term, as one woman said in the SBS program, a mother whose, whose child suffered from this, I don't want to give my child a medicine that hasn't been properly trialled because it may stop her fitting, but what are the damages are doing to her in the short and long term? And I think that's where the clinical trials and the long-term studies are very, very important before we unleash this on the market. But that's what we're doing. We're rushing it through, and once it's out and in play, it's harder to rein back in. And that's the, the, the sinister agenda behind all this. It's a rushing forward. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Wonderful to have you along with us on this Monday edition of 2020. And our special guest is Shane Varco. Shane is the CEO at Dalgano Institute, one of the 300 member organizations of the World Federation Against Drugs. There's a question you can respond to. Do you think Christian views about the harms of marijuana are any different to non-Christian views? Tomorrow is World Weed Day, so all the propaganda from the pro-drug lobby will be out and you'll see all sorts of things on television and radio and in the press. So uh, you might like to contribute today and listen in carefully as we talk through these issues. Uh, Just quickly, before we take a call, Shane, uh, we might hope that in our Australian context that there is a referee, that there is a mediator who can say these are the good uh, issues and evidence, uh, these are the uh, the bad issues and evidence, and we might look to the Therapeutic Goods Administration. And uh, I wonder whether you've got any thoughts there about how the TGA responds to this whole issue about uh, drugs and, uh, uh, you know, uh, decriminalisation and the use of that medical term around marijuana. It's a difficult one to answer because the TDA is supposed to be a clinical and uh, science-based organisation that's not swayed by political and or community sentiment. But as we've seen in America and other places, voting for medicine has become quite the popular thing. And and it seems in Australia, the TGA recently uh, set up caveats within their, within their legislative framework to permit... I'll be careful about my interpretation of this because I don't want to misrepresent that organisation. But basically, there was a, a, a not a uh, there was certainly now they've permitted over the counter CBD, which is CBD based uh, you know, uh, formulations. Uh, again, there doesn't have to be any real 
thorough testing of those uh, to see that they're they're properly prescribed. But it's more basically seen that over the counter, it's now available over the counter, which which is concerning because CBD's got its own issues, which is now becoming more uh, more prominent. But the the other the other side of it, there's a kind of a caveat they put in play, which essentially enables medical practitioners to yeah to, to dispense these what's believed to be medicine as medicine and you'll find that most doctors in fact the vast vast but overwhelming number of doctors are really reluctant to actually engage in this practice or process because they are looking to clinical trials to be the the prompter for their dispensing and prescribing of this particular product they don't want to be driven by anecdotes or you know lived experience or personal personal stories and felt needs they, they they say well okay that's all very good but you know just because you feel better doesn't mean you are better and one of the one of the big problems with substances and that was happening back in 130 140 years ago one of the reasons why drugs were put onto scheduled uh, ratings is because they were they were saying oh well if people feel better they then they are better so the idea is that people were having cocaine and 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 laudanum, which is an alcohol opium mix, and of course they felt better, but they weren't dealing with the issues. So they felt better, but they were only getting worse. So they realised that the misapplication of of analgesics and or any other substance purely to change the way you feel, but not actually address the disease or the condition, was a failed use of the resource and a dangerous use of the resource. Hence, they brought in scheduling, and now we seem to be reverting with marijuana. We seem to be reverting back to this kind of anecdotal evidence. Uh, based uh, issues and you know now you've got major pain uh, this, this is interesting major pain um, management associations in Australia have come out pointedly in, uh, against marijuana saying we're not we're not backing this for, for pain management because there's no clinical trials to prove it um, so again you've got Pain Australia saying that we don't use this Glaucoma, uh, the uh, <clears throat> ophthalmology in America saying we're not using this. It's not good for for glaucoma. In fact, it's dangerous. You've got uh, the, the Alzheimer's and Parkinson's group saying that we've got some serious doubts about this. So all these agencies, all the medical boards and all the medical agencies are saying no, 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 no. But then there's this drive, and TGA have kind of been looks like they've been seconded in some way, to be part of that, uh, letting things a little bit off the leash. So that's a concern that we have, and that's not to impugn the TGA at all, but that's the, that's the, what we're seeing at the moment. That's kind of where they've been led. Okay, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. You might like to have your say, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. Anne is in Labrador in Queensland. Hello, Anne. Welcome along. Yes, welcome. Yeah. Um, I have two questions. The legal, I mean, the um, marijuana, the medical marijuana, um, uh, is it the same as the other le- uh, illegal one? And is that medical one, can it become addictive, like, you know, the, um, <laughs> like morphine and stuff like that? The, sure, um, sure, good question. I, yes. And also, um, how when they distribute it to to the people, um, do they say that this can become addicted to it? You know, so if some people are taking it for a pain kind of management, and not just the one that you were talking about, the uh, effort when they have epileptic fits. So, how does sure. that work? And yeah. good thought, yeah, Anne. Very good questions, Anne. I appreciate that. Um, I'll jump straight in there. Look, the first one. Uh, the the psychotropic uh, 
element of cannabis is delta nine tetrahydrocannabinoid, cannabinol, sorry, which is THC. With the, with the term THC is probably easy to remember. THC. Now that's the that's the the cannabinoid in cannabis that gets you stoned, high, uh, creates the the uh, different different uh, psychotoxic uh, experiences that people have. So it's the one that can it can be addictive. Now, as opposed to other other cannabinoids, and there's between, depending on who you talk to, between 80 and 120 cannabinoids in cannabis. The ones that are used for therapeutic purposes, or attempted to at the moment, are CBD, cannabidiol. I always get these confused. Cannabidiol and cannabidiol. Um, so they they are also in the mix. Now, as we understand it, they are not addictive, but again, then again, all, uh, or oh, sorry, dependence-inducing. Um, all drugs, of course, are idiosyncratic, so individuals can react in different ways to different drugs. So it's hard to say one will never affect a person in a certain way. But they are not; they do not have that psychoactive component to them. But CBD has got its own problems. It, it, is, it has been uh, touted as being useful for, uh, for anxiety or pain management. Uh, but what we find is it's also what they call the agonist or the anti a THC part of the original plant. Now, the plant that grows naturally untouched by uh, human hands uh, has about 3% THC and it's balanced out by the CBD content. Now, that CBD acts as a, an antipsychotic. And so it's interesting that uh, now we've got medical <laughs> with, with marijuana being unleashed so aggressively and the plants being so engineered that the THC sea levels are now through the roof. I mean, plants are growing with a THC level between 15 and 30%. And once you process them into a more concentrated form, you can get up to between 80 and 95% THC content. Now, this is, this is uh, psychosis-inducing almost events immediately. And what we're now seeing in hospitals, we, we get this from the medical sector, is that a lot of people coming in acting out violently with psychotic breaks and and being incredibly violent aren't on meth or crack cocaine. They're actually on marijuana. And that's that's really concerning as well. So that's to answer that question. As opposed to the therapeutic potential and ongoing harms, we're dealing with researchers at the moment who are globally, and one of the leading ones is in Australia, and they're deeply concerned about CBD's long-term harms. So it might have some short-term, what they call placebo effects, which is the and marijuana has a very strong placebo effect. That means it it can make you believe it's doing you well, but in fact there's no clinical evidence for that. Um, so the, we're finding that that the, the studies into CBD are causing some real concerns, and that this may have long-term impacts on the genetic uh, elements of the of the human um, genome. So. Again, there's a lot of study being done, and this this is the problem. We have no problem with the idea that there may be potential, but rushing forward and misusing the product and not properly trialling it is going to create some long-term problems that we're going to have, like we saw with thalidomide. Thalidomide was these wonderful you know, anti-morning uh, sickness drug that Australia decided to release, but America said no. So back in the 60s, they went, no, we're not going to do this. And they did the smart thing because it wasn't properly tested. Whereas Australia said, no, let's release it because it seems to work. And of course, we know what thalidomide has done. And then the big lawsuits that happened and recently settled out. So we don't want to see this happening with uh, cannabis because although they may stop it in 30 years' time and say, gee, that was a mistake, the damage has already been done. And then who's going to pay the, the legal bills 
for the misuse of a product that was government-backed because of anecdotal rather than scientific evidence. Okay, I need to jump in. Thank you so much to Anne. Let's take some calls. First of all, let's hear from Norman in Innisfail. Hello, Norman. Welcome along. Hey, Norman. Hello, how are you? Very well, Norman. Well, what are your thoughts? I really think that it's a matter of my body, my choice. If, if it's been legal in South Australia for 50 years and no calamity, I think we should be allowed to make our own decision, no matter, no matter who or why makes their uh, longbow. Norman, longbow. interesting thoughts there, my body, my choice, and I don't think it has been legal in uh, South Australia for 50 years, but your thoughts here, uh, Shane? Yeah, look, no, there hasn't been. It was decriminalised for a while, then recriminalised again. That, that tends to, to move a little bit. Uh, again, yeah, look, this is the difficulty about any substance use. Uh, once you have the my body, my choice option, then someone's got to pay the price for the downside of that. And government's, government's priorities are to actually ensure, and this is up from a Westminster system too, by the way, it's two highest priorities, sorry, foundational priorities, I should say, are to create, to keep their, their citizens from harm and to create safe and healthy and productive and protected environments so their citizens can reach their full potential. Now, anything that falls, uh, that enters that filter that doesn't pass that test is excise and substance use, particularly uh, drugs of dependence, create all sorts of issues and everything from, you know, particularly marijuana, uh, that reduces productivity, uh, also mental health issues, physical health issues. And so destroying one's own body is fine if no one else has to pay the price for that. And that's the biggest concern we have in, in, in a culture that says, a welfare-based culture, that says I can do whatever I want and someone else will pay for my behaviour. I think that's patently irresponsible. And if drug use develops and grows that patent irresponsibility, then I think that's something we don't want to have in our culture because that's not helpful for anybody, and particularly the individual is uh, self-destructing, as it were. Uh, let me say, too, for Christian listeners and wondering about biblical concepts here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, has that verse, uh, verses 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you have and that you are not your own, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. There's some important aspects there. Let's continue to take some calls. John is on the line from Point Cook in Victoria. Hello, John. Welcome. Hello. How are you? Very well, John. Hi, John. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I'd just uh, like to say I'm 68, and I come from the 60 area. And yeah. um, I noticed when I was younger, and I never touched uh, marijuana myself, but I knew a lot of guys in the in those days who did, and um, and not only that, they used to drink a lot of alcohol too, which was bad. And um, what it is, of quite a few of them ended up schizophrenia. They were heavy smokers, yep. of course, and of mental mental health, and they ended up in uh, in some of the uh, uh, not mental homes, what do they call them, the psychiatric centres and stuff like that. And uh, it's just sad that what happened. They couldn't work those days, and they ended up in trouble with police, and their minds were gone. So it is a deadly drug. I mean, thank God I never touched it, but but I just feel so sorry for the young ones coming on now because it's been publicised for the kids today, and they I think it's just the weed from the ground and any plants good for you and all this stuff. So it's sad, but uh, that's all I'd like to say anyway. Thank you, John. Thank good you. point there, uh, Shane. Your thoughts for John? I just reflect. Look, that 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 story you just told, John. I hear that time and time and time again. It is it is a stuck record. 
I deal with people anywhere between the ages of 50 and 70. Uh, I deal with politicians, and they all got stories of their their peers and or cohort or family members that have started using weed when they were young, and they, they were into it. And this is when weed had a low THC component. I've got a family member who's on the National Disability Scheme who uh, who is uh, a registered has a schizoid affective state all because of marijuana use and he he gets full support from the government because he could he hasn't been able to work for 25 years and so i I see that firsthand in in my own family and the burden that places on society on on the on the budget on the health budget and on the health sector is huge and that's just one individual who as i can talking about about the previous person's my body my choice well, it, it is your choice, but who's paying for that? And and it's not just the fiscal damage that's been done. It's that that person's potential, capacity, uh, well-being is utterly unravelled and done and destroyed by again, you said the harmless drug. So again, this story is replete all through culture, everywhere you go. John, great insight. Thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take another call from uh, this time an anonymous listener. Hello, welcome along. Hi there. Um, Hi. Yeah, during during high school, uh, we were using marijuana, and it really steals your capacity to even concentrate in class. You pretty much end up a dropout which I did, and um, it certainly is harmful. And you'd get quality, different quality marijuana, and, you know, if you've got the buds and that, but people would lace it, and they would even spray fly spray on it because I was friends with dealers, and they would just do anything just to sort of get the money. And then, you know, you've got people stealing just so they can buy. Uh, It is very harmful, and it's a gateway drug because they roll up in the car at your high school and have, you know, pot there waiting to be bought but also other stuff and introduce you, older kids, um, introduce the younger kids to all this and it's it's just rampart. Wow, that's uh, disturbing stuff. Shane, your thoughts for our listener? Look, again, thank you for your insights there. I do appreciate that and you're brave coming on too because that is, again, that, that story you just told, we hear this all the time. In fact, uh, we know now, look, we're dealing with young people as young as 13, 14. Their parents who are the dealers, and this is a direct story that we, we're dealing with a family in a state which will remain nameless, um, that the parents were the drug growers and a young boy whose family uh, had, a, had a breakup, so they had a divorced couple, and, and this kid became friends with this guy, and he used to have to go home after school on his own. This kid invites him around, says, oh, try this. He says, oh, hey, my parents go, it's all cool, they're, they're cool. So you've got these so-called grown-ups uh, using this stuff. This kid, 12, uses it. He has a pretty nasty experience with it, because a lot of people who use weed for the first time really don't like it. It's awful. But then the second time, they laced it with crystal meth. And this kid was jacked straight away. And from that point on, within six months, he was doing crime for them. He was doing bergs. He was asked to go into houses to collect money at 14. And so, uh, again, and his brain is done. I mean, to walk him back out of that is possible, but it's incredibly difficult. And it's not just the amotivational syndrome. It actually destroys capacity and agency. And that's that's the thing that is getting under the radar. It's just being missed by the, the public because they've been told that, oh, it's just weed, just weed. But it's not just weed. It's not an original plant. The plant that 
that is natural, that the plant so God created does not exist anywhere on the planet. Unless it's in a place that no man has ever traversed. That's the only place you'll find a natural product and it will not do that to you uh, without using a lot of it over a long period of time. But the stuff they're dealing now is mind-blowing and not in a good way. Okay, well, thank you so much to that listener. Uh, great insight. And 1-800-316-316 to join in our talkback conversation. You can also respond to our Facebook question today that says, do you think Christian views about the harms of marijuana are any different to non-Christian views? You can find the question at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Before we take another call, the idea that tomorrow is this World Weed Day that we've been talking about, uh, there'll be lots of propaganda on display. Uh, the idea of some sound bites, some quick and easy and cheap and uh, ways that people can get their message out about uh, marijuana and medical marijuana, all those sorts of things. What are your thoughts for the way people listening to our conversation today ought to process those things that they will hear tomorrow if they're listening into mainstream media? Well, that's the thing. The difficulty is sound bites are the key. The key to any propaganda machine is quick, easy, catchy, repeatable um, memes. And when it comes to explaining the, the short, long-term harms of a substance like cannabis, which has been so readily touted as a harmless product, is you have to dig a little, drill a little bit deeper into the data and push it out there. But one of the things that really concerns us is that they're collapsing drug use uh, um, impact data into the mental health data space. Now, that is, that is quite a cynical exercise because what then they can then say is, oh, we have a growing mental health problem. But the only reason, a lot, not the only reason, but one of the significant reasons why mental health issues are growing is because of drug use, substance use. And to not um, excise that from that, from the mental health framework and call it for what it is, is a really cynical exercise. And I wonder why that's being done. Because if mental health is a concern, and it should be, and it is in our society, then drug use and, and the cessation of or delay or denying of uptake of drug use should be the single highest priority. Prevention in this space is always, always better than cure. And if mental health of our community, and particularly they're young because they're the ones who are more vulnerable to mental health uh, issues, particularly in the developing brain up to 25, any drug use can have this impact. But cannabis is, is the nastiest one because it's the one that's deemed most harmless. So you, when you're told something's harmless, then you engage in it quite heavily. And of course, the, the mind is being re, recalibrated by this stuff. And you think you're okay, but you're not. And this is the disturbing thing, and those short and long-term impacts are quite real, as we've heard repeatedly this morning. So for me, it's just saying, well, do you want good mental health? Do you want to, to be able to have a future? Do you want to be able to actually deal with difficulties and anxiety? Then weed is not the way forward. In fact, it's the last thing you want to do. If you want to be a, a capable, uh, effective change maker and influence in your culture, you can either destroy your culture and your influence to destroy culture or your influence to grow it and to become a change agent for better. And drugs can't be part of that system. But when you're told that it's cool and you can deal and all that sort of stuff, then all of a sudden kids think this is the way to do it. And all they're doing is adding to the addiction for profit industry, which is just unraveling the entire generation. That demographic is going to have a huge liability in the next 10 to 20 years. Just come back to mental health issues for a moment yeah. here, Shane. Uh, more anecdotally, uh, somebody said to me recently, psych wards are filled with people who are suffering the effects of marijuana. Is that something that is that holds weight? Oh, look, this is the difficulty. Once you start collapsing data into, into mental health, you know, generic mental health 
statistics. It's hard to weed it out. We we did an investigation, and the latest data we could get our hands on um, for mental health issues you know, and, and different issues goes back about five years. So it's kind of evaporating from the statistical marketplace. And that's a concern for us because we know that this is the case. When you talk to, to again, you talk to med- uh, mental health staff and nursing staff, and not just with marijuana, with other drugs as well, we're seeing that this is, the, if not the sole cause, a single con- biggest contributor to the mental health disarray. And once they uh, stop using the, the, the substance, then all of a sudden a lot of their symptoms begin to abate. They're not necessarily fixed, but they begin to abate and they can start addressing the issue. But then, of course, you have to deal with not only the, the mental health issue that may be underlying it uh, or been caused, but you also have to deal with the symptoms and the, and of of uh, exiting drug use, which can be quite uncomfortable, not for long periods of time, but certainly uncomfortable and difficult. And marijuana is addictive both physiologically and psychologically. That evidence is in. And anyone who tells you different is lying to you, flat out lying to you. It is physiologically and psychologically addictive. So on the World Weed Day tomorrow, get ready for lies as part of that propaganda. Let's continue to take some calls. Uh, lots of people trying to get through. Let's hear from Jonathan in Perth. Hello, Jonathan. Yes, Jonathan. Uh, according to what uh, the guy said just now, because anything that deals with the system of the body, whether digestive system or circulatory system or anything, is harmful. Because the body, you use drugs, you use alcohol, you can bypass it and say this one will be good, this one will be bad. No, all of them are bad because it deals with the body. It's circulatory, it go up and down, coming in the blood system and everything. It will damage your brain because it go in and out. Jonathan, good thoughts there. If you come from a position that anything you put into your body is potentially harmful here, what are your thoughts for Jonathan? Well, Jonathan, I, I agree. I think we've got to be careful about any toxin that we put into our body. And you've got to understand drugs, you know, even, even pharmaceuticals that are properly tested, they are, they are toxins. They are essentially poisons. And psychotropic toxins with psychoactive elements in them are, are, are poisonous on a number of levels. And, of course, alcohol traverses the, the blood-brain barrier very quickly. Uh, we now know that uh, uh, cannabinoids can as well. And other drugs as well. So yeah, any toxins you put into your body will have adverse effects. What's fascinating is I just on the WA thing. I went to WA in 2010 to talk to a group of government-funded youth workers in the sector, and we were talking about you know young people as young as 14, 15, 16 being this is 10 years ago, 11 years ago, coming out of ice rehab because they were so messed up, and they had. And I remember they were saying the goals they set at 15. The new goals as they left was to learn how to wash their clothes, clean their teeth properly, and keep a tidy room. That was the vision they had coming out of. There's a 15-year-old. That's your vision. But what I said to them, yeah, and this is, this is a quote, a direct quote from a WA uh, uh, drug sector. I said, there is no upside to drug use. This is just shocking. And they looked at me in one voice, said, oh, what about fun, though? Fun's an upside. And I went, Wow. So the only driver for drug use, by their own mouth, is fun. All the downsides, all the other issues that, that attend that are forgotten because it's fun in that moment. 
Okay, and thank you. So when you when you go date and play, you got you got some real concerns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's uh it's all the downside versus fun. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for your call. Let's continue to take some calls very quickly, running short of time. Gary is in Sydney. Hello, Gary. Welcome. Hey, Gary. Good, Gary. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Gary. Yeah, I've had a lot of people, you know, like they think uh, it's a harmless drug and, you know, like um, there's nothing wrong with it. But when you've lived it, when you've grown up, like I grew up um, when I was young, teen, like late teens, early 20s, you know, I first had some and uh, a friend of mine gave me some, you know, I thought it was the greatest thing ever, you know, like it was fun laughing and... I just wanted to keep um, getting some more until years down the track I was um, pretty well hooked on it and all I wanted to do was was get some, you know, buy some, I would either hock something or spend all my money, I end up having no money um, and to me for a long time I used to think, oh, it's pretty harmless, it should be legal and because you think there's nothing wrong with just having a good time but when you you look back on your life after you've been involved in it you, you look at all the times that you like I said you've got no money you've got no aspects no not no goals in life all your goals is to get high uh, spend whatever your money you can get like the hocking stuff to um, make enough money to buy some and um, and then after a while, what I found with the marijuana was that it didn't create the same high it used to be. It just sort of made me veg out and uh, like that's what I was getting. So it started to lead to um, getting involved in other drugs that I wanted a better high. Gary, and, uh, one thing leads to another. I'll have to cut you a little short here. A quick response from oh, Shane. Oh, Gary. Look, thank you. Thank you, Gary, for your story. Yeah, look, and that is a classic scenario. Now, not everyone who uses a drug becomes dependent upon a drug. But the difficulty is, particularly the younger you start, the more risk there is. And with all psychotropic toxins and psychotropic and uh, substances, this is the very real potential. And even if you don't become dependent and or addicted to it, it does do damage, particularly to the developing brain. So basically, you shouldn't start even looking at taking up a drug until you're 28. If that, and then if that 28, you still want to have a try, then foolish, you go for it. But in, in the same time, what you have experienced is common. We see this all the time. And that's why they're collapsing the drug use data into the mental health data, because they're saying, oh, what's well, a mental health issue? Where it's not, it's actually a drug issue. And we need to actually address that. And we need to be preventing drug use, not liberating it and permitting it, promoting it and otherwise pushing it. Gary, thank you so much for your call. I'll need to put a line under those calls, uh, almost out of time, just to pick up on, though, if we were drawing some loose ends together here, Shane, uh, talking about the economic harms, uh, we're talking about some of the uh, the psychiatric harms, uh, the medical costs, uh, homelessness, uh, mental health. Well, there are uh, nations around the world who have legalised marijuana, and I think if we're uh, looking at the United States, a whole bunch of states have uh, legalised marijuana there. Is there anything we can learn from seeing what others have done around the world before it gets here? Oh, clearly. I mean, legalising and, and uh, any drug is just is, is a foolish act. To put a, a addiction, a, a substance of addiction 
into the marketplace, into a commercial space, is an addiction for profit industry. It took 100 years to get opium out of the currents of trade. 100-year opium wars that were introduced in China. One of the reasons why China hates the West is because it got hooked on the white man's powder. And it took 100 years to get that out of the currents of trade. And now we want to put marijuana in. It's interesting that the drugs that still do the greatest harm in our culture are the legal ones of alcohol and tobacco. And we want to add cannabis to that and pretend that's not going to create problems and create issues. And of course, the revenue promises aren't there. San Francisco's a mess. Seattle's a mess. Portland's a mess. Uh, the states that have legalized and embraced it have got increasing debt problems. Uh, the, the, the welfare from this, uh, sorry, the revenue from this has not been realized. On our website, I just need to, to encourage people to get to our website. I could sit here all day talking about it. If you go to cannabis at the delganoinstitute.org.au and the cannabis conundrum is really, um, really, really important to go there and look at those websites and get the data from those and, um, and check those out. But also on, on our no-brainer website, nobrainer.org.au, look at the Humpty Dumpty Dilemma Resiliency Project video series. Really important to get a handle on the mental health issues and developing good resiliency in young people and your community. So I really encourage people to look at the data for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Look at the evidence. Look at the science. Look at the research that's in play. Make your own call. Well, some people are interested in just a simple soundbite, something that's quick, easy, uh, that will uh, give them a message. But as you say, Shane, uh, sometimes you need to dig a little deeper. You need to look for what the evidence says. Uh, What is the research really saying? And as you're saying, uh, you can go to those websites and you can find links to real evidence about this issue around marijuana. So let me point people to dalganoinstitute.org.au and uh, the one you mentioned, Shane, uh, certainly uh, it is uh, just uh, an attractive one for uh, particularly people looking at uh, issues around uh, this particular marijuana issue, nobrainer.org.au. And I think people can subscribe and get update newsletters. And so Indeed. if drugs Indeed. is an issue within your family, you might want to get something uh, updated regularly and you can subscribe and get the newsletters uh, from nobrainer.org.au. Uh, let me just remind listeners too that there is a Facebook question today. Do you think Christian views about the harms of marijuana are any different to non-Christian views? And I'll remind listeners, uh, there are a number of very significant scriptures. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There's lots of responses on our Facebook page today, and I'll encourage listeners to engage with some of those, and you might find an interesting array of opinions about today's question. The question that I've been asking today is, do you think Christian views about the harms of marijuana are any different to non-Christian views? And Shane Varco, who's the CEO at Dalgano Institute, thanks so much, Shane, for great insights once again today on 2020. Well, thank you, Neil, as always, for the opportunity, and thank you to your listeners for their contribution. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.